Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special Bella Asks episode of The Ethicast. I'm your host, Bill Coffin. As longtime members of the Business Ethics Leadership Alliance, or Bella, know, we offer a special concierge service whereby Bella members who have any questions at all about ethics and compliance can send them to us, and then our internal experts will provide an answer and or direct them to a helpful resource for more information. Some of these concierge requests are rather specific to a particular company's needs, but many of them represent larger themes facing Bella members. That's why we're using this show to thematically respond to high-level questions from the Bella community. And joining us to give these responses is Bella Chair Erica Salmon-Byrne. Erica, welcome. As always, it's terrific to see you on the show. Yeah, Bill, thank you so much for having me, and I'm so happy that we have a chance to start to share, share rather, some of the thematic insights that we are getting from our Bella community. Uh, as you and I know well, we get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these um, every year. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when you look at them in that grand sort of trajectory of submission, mm -hmm. uh, you definitely start to see some common questions. And uh, as you and I know, if one Bella member has that question, chances are good that five other people out there in the universe are wondering the same thing. So let's give some answers. One of the categories of questions or requests, uh, that's probably one of the most populous ones, is you know in reference to ethics and compliance policies. And a lot of the questions kind of circle around things like, why do I need them? How often mm -hmm. do I need to refresh or update them? And who should be involved in that effort? How do I tell if a policy is any good? Right. So I would love to get your advice on how to approach this rather broad, deep, and complex topic. Yeah, it is. It is exactly that, um, Bill. And and, it, and as you said, it's it is one of our most populous um, categories of concierge questions that we get coming in. And and I think it's really because in a lot of organizations, people are still struggling to to start with the why I need the policy in the first place question. And it is always the place that I recommend somebody who's looking at at this particular topic to start. So the opening question you have to ask yourself is, Am I writing this policy to guide employee behavior? Or am I writing this policy so that when somebody messes up, I can fire them? Those are very different things, right? And you're gonna write in a different way and you're gonna broadcast the policy in a different way and you're gonna track access of it in a different way. For far too long, the vast majority of policies were written for category two. Yeah. One of the most exciting things we've seen over the course of the last 10 years is compliance officers finally wrestling control of those policies back from the people who originally drafted them and saying, no, 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 we're gonna write for category one. Like we are actually going to write these policies so that somebody reading the policy knows what it is we want them to do and can act accordingly. They are supposed to be guidance. That's the point of the policy in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at the regulatory advice as far as written standards are concerned, you're supposed to have the kind of policies that will guide an employee to making the right choice. And so that means a couple of things. First, you need to figure out what you're actually gonna call a policy. Because a lot, if you look at the average company's policy universe, a lot of those things aren't policies. They're things somebody wanted to call a policy because it was fancy to call it a policy, right? Most of many of those things are better suited for guidance documents or for FAQs or for flowcharts or decision trees or other things that sit under a policy. So the first thing is like, you got to wrangle what a policy is in the first place. What is going to what is going to be a risk area that rises to the level that you need a policy for? Second thing is write a policy on policies. I realize this sounds very redundant, but the yeah. fact of the matter is, is you will have people promulgating policies across your organization 
that are coming from different backgrounds and are going to have different areas of focus. And if you don't direct them on what you want your policies to look like, you are going to wind up with a smorgasbord and not the kind you want to eat, right? So really think about what do I want my policies to look like? What reading level do my employees uh, traditionally engage at? Mm -hmm. What is going to be the percentage of passive voice that I'm comfortable with in my policy? What kind of elements have to be in my policy? How do I want to handle cross-references to other policies? Where do I put contact information if somebody has questions? All of those things go in your policy on policies, and then that policy governs the rest of your policy universe. I realize it sounds like a like sort of a you know pain in the tail process to start with, but it really is important because that way employees are going to know that if I pick up a policy from IT and I pick up a policy from HR, they're going to look the same, they're going to work the same, they're going to function the same, they're going to sound the same. And that's why a policy on policy matters. At this point, I pulled some data coming into today's Bella Asks. 92% of the companies in our data set have a policy on policies. And some of the elements they cover are, you know, what, what is a policy? What elements have to be in the policy? What reading level do you have to write the policy at? What's the acceptable level of percentage voice or, or passive voice rather? All of those things go in the policy on policy. And again, the reason for it is you make sure that your employees want to read it, can understand what to do when they read it, right? And know where to go if they have questions. That's yeah. the goal of the policy. You know, it's not often I get a chance to um, talk about the, you know, the topics in the show from an editorial perspective, but this time mm -hmm. I will, because <laughs> in previous lives, I've actually had the opportunity to help to, to write and to, more importantly, to edit uh, policies on policies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, I can speak from that side of things that the, the word choice really matters, the language mm -hmm. choice, the language of the reading level. You are setting such an important kind of Rosetta Stone to your whole organization about how it talks about these things. Yep. Uh, and it's amazing when you get that done, other departments are so grateful. They have that to templatize and to run off of. It makes their job way easier. Yep. And it makes it so much easier for an organization to build a really healthy sort of network of behaviors you want to encourage. So yeah. uh, I've seen it up close and personal. I see what happens when it works. I totally get what you're saying. As many of our community knows, we have a ton of in-house compliance expertise here. And we actually wrote a policy on policies that we put on the Bella Member Hub because we had a lot of people saying like, what does a good one look like? Well, we wrote it for you. You're welcome. Yep. Um, and it, but part of the reason for that is we think it's really, really important. And then your, how often do I update them question? That's really important too. First off, turn on uh, uh, click metrics on whatever system houses your policies. Figure out who's actually accessing which policies, what questions are coming from that. Um, what are the most frequently accessed policies and when and from where? The technology now allows you to do that. You would be remiss in the government's eyes, according to the latest evaluation of corporate compliance programs, in not tracking those metrics. So make sure you're tracking the metrics and then let them guide you. Chances are good there are going to be some policies that you're going to want to update touch and review a lot more often than others. Your antitrust policy, probably let it sit for a little while because it's going to be an, a, a policy that, that, that fewer people are gonna access. Your gifts and entertainment policy, you probably wanna be looking that, at that one on a fairly regular basis because that's gonna be one that people are consulting. So um, let your employees guide how often you need to update the policies. The third question and all that is, what does a good policy look like? Mm -hmm. A good policy looks like a policy that I can use. Right, and that's going to vary a little bit by company, because every you know every job function is a little different, every company is a little different, everybody has their own individual risk profile inside those companies um, uh, in terms of the work they're doing. Those companies have individual risk profiles, but fundamentally speaking, a policy is going to answer three questions: 
can I find, or for an employee, hey, can I find this policy, right? Like you might have written the most beautiful policy in the world. If you put it in a place that is so bizarre that I can never access it, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter, right? doesn't matter. It's going to be the tree falling in the forest and nobody has any idea that it happened. So can I find the policy in the first place? Have I put it in a natural place for employees to access it and to engage with it? Second, when I pick that policy up, do I know what it is I'm supposed to do? Not what I'm supposed to not do, right? Lots of policies are written in the don't do this. Write it in the affirmative. Do this, right? Act this way. Make this choice. Um, so does it actually tell me what to do? And then the third question is, do I know where to go with questions if I have them about this particular risk topic? Because that may be different than some of the channels I would use for a different risk topic. So let's take trade compliance as an example. Can be a fairly complicated compliance area. Lots of specialized expertise, probably specialized expertise on your team. Make sure your trade policies reference the specialized team that is best suited to answer employee questions. Because otherwise, those questions may not get where you want them to go. So those three questions. Can I find it? Can I read it and understand what it is I'm supposed to do? Do I know where I'm supposed to go with questions if I have them? That's what makes a good policy. Well, Erica, thank you so much for lending your insights and understanding today. I know that Bella members and everyone in the ethics economy really appreciates it. Bill, it's my pleasure. And to all of our Bella members out there, keep the questions coming, okay? I'm Bill Coffin, and this has been a special Bella Asks episode of The Ethicast. For more episodes, please visit Ethisphere's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ethisphere. If this is your first time enjoying the show, please make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or on our podcasting platforms at Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Music. Thank you so much for subscribing. It helps us out a great deal. To learn more about Bella, please visit bella.ethosphere.com to request guest access to the Bella Member Resource Hub and to speak with a Bella Engagement Director. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, remember, strong ethics is good business.